Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I am Jolenta Greenberg. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what is happening in the world of happiness, health, wellness, betterment, self-help, all that good stuff. And we offer a bit of advice to those of you who write in and ask questions. Now, full disclosure, we are not psychologists or psychiatrists, but we are experienced self-help critics. We have lived by the rules of nearly 100 self-help books for our other podcast, By the Book, right here in this feed if you scroll back. So we have tried on almost every kind of wellness trend out there. And besides, we're not here promising to make you all like the best, richest, happiest, most optimum versions of yourself. You know, if all goes well... We'll just help you feel a little closer to fine. We have a couple of very good advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as usual, we're kicking things off with our hot topic. Yes, we are. Hot topic. Hot, hot topic. There, I made up a song for us. <laughs> please, can we use that in the future? Chantal, our producer, oh, no. please. Do not flag that, Chantal. You can find it. It's okay. <laughs> Today's hot topic is dopamine news. 
Ah, dopamenus. I believe I have heard of these. These are those menus they give you at restaurants that serve the marijuana that's now available everywhere. Mm -hmm. Is that what that is, Jolenta? No, no. But that could be for a different episode once uh, (laughs) a few more dispensaries open up in New York. These are not menus where you pick different kinds of dope, although that would be dope. (laughs) <laughs> Dopa menus are actually an ADHD tool that have just recently become popular on TikTok. The term is just two words, dopamine and menu, smushed together. Um, and if you search dopamine and menu on TikTok, it has almost 80 million views. It is wild. People are loving these menus. People all over the platform are claiming that Dopa menus help with focus and productivity. And as someone with ADHD, I was obviously super interested in anything that claims to help with that. All right. So before we get into how dopamine menus, aka dopa menus, relate to people with ADHD, what is the origin story of a dopa menu, Jolenta? Where does this come from? Let's get into the dopa menu lore, Kristen. The first mention of dopa menus seems to have been in a YouTube called How to Give Your Brain the Stimulation It Needs. This video came out on Jessica McCabe's YouTube channel called How to ADHD in May of 2020. And McCabe is an actor turned YouTuber who was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 12. And at around like 20, she began researching ADHD and how it impacts adult brains. And she started making videos about what she was learning so she could better understand herself. These videos became wildly popular. And now the YouTube channel How to ADHD has over 1.5 million subscribers. Got it. So it's from Jessica McCabe's YouTube channel, which I will check out. And what exactly does she say in this video? So she has on this guest, Eric Tivers, and he's a licensed clinical social worker, a podcaster, and a consultant who specializes in ADHD and autism. And together, they explain how ADHD brains need more stimulation than average in order to stay focused. So when people with ADHD are understimulated, we tend to not work as well. And often we'll turn to activities like scrolling on social media or online shopping to get a quick stimulating hit of dopamine so we can then get back to focusing on our work or whatever it is that we actually mean to be doing. Because the things you need to do don't give you a dopamine hit. Right, right. Those are usually like the boring things like writing a term paper or, you know. Folding the laundry. Folding your laundry, <laughs> cleaning your room. Yeah, yeah. Any any number of household chores where you're like, this is understimulating. So then you sort of zone out and then all of a sudden you're sitting on the couch scrolling TikTok if you're me. Got it, got it. So the problem with the things we tend to turn to most often to get those quick hits of dopamine, for me, that's like Instagram and probably like mindlessly eating pretzels, is they They don't usually actually satiate us. So like someone who's sort of mindlessly hungry, we just keep going back for more and more. We keep hitting that Instagram. We keep eating those pretzel crisps, if you're me. Mm. And there are activities that do give us enough dopamine. But when you're already bored and you've already sort of lost your ability to focus, it's hard to remember those options. Pick one of them and like set it all up and do it. It's a lot easier to just grab a bag of pretzel crisps or your phone. (laughs) Pretzel crisps are not a sponsor. They are just what I eat a lot of. 
and delicious. <laughs> They're so crispy. Yes. As Jessica McCabe says, just like it's hard to make good food choices when you're already hungry, it's hard to make good dopamine choices when you're already low on dopamine. Ah. So they came up with a solution. According to McCabe and Tivers, the solution is making a menu full of different ways to get dopamine hits. Basically, it's a pre-made list full of things you like to do that you can peruse and pick according to your situation. That way, when you're crawling out of your skin with boredom, while you're trying to get work done, you can sort of easily glance over at your menu and just pick an item. Ah, so it's kind of like a planned out list of satisfactory distractions rather than mindless distractions to give you that hit so you can keep going. Right, right. And it's not just any list. Of course, it's much more complicated because it's like a menu and thus it is broken down by course and portion size, Kristen. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So I have never seen one of these DOPA menus. Jolenta, can you walk us through what might be on the different courses and so on, what the menu itself looks like? So in this video, McCabe outlines the steps to take to make a successful, easy-to-use DOPA menu. So I will share the steps. In honor of By the Book, we love a good steps. Yes, actionable steps, please, please. Okay, so the first step is a very big one. It's one of those like multi-pronged steps where you have to do a bunch of shit, even though it's all called step one. Okay. Step one is create your menu. <laughs> so for this, you're going to list out activities for each menu section. And I tried it. So I'll use what I wrote down as my examples while I explain. So up first on the menu, of course, we have appetizers. This is a list of things that give you a quick jolt of dopamine that is still kind of good for you. You know, for me, this would be like having a little piece of chocolate. Like, it's not horrible. It's just a little hit. Maybe cuddling the dog. That's constructive for me and the dog. Or, you know, taking a quick break to grab a Coke Zero or like sing a song. Oh, I love that singing a song is on your appetizer menu. Of course it is. I like making up songs or singing songs I already know. Oh, that is so sweet. Just the other day, I had the Moana song stuck in my head and was singing it a lot. Oh, don't <laughs> sing that around Dean. He'll start crying. I was going to say, that. plus, it's hard to not <laughs> cry when you like get really into it. It's yes. just, it's a whole thing. So that's appetizers. After that, we've got our entrees, our main courses. These are things to do that really excite and engage you and like take a little chunk of time. For me, that would be taking the dog to the park and maybe hanging out for a little bit or mm. playing the piano for half an hour, 45 minutes, hanging out with a friend for a bit on my stoop, a movie date with Brad, or maybe like taking a nice bike ride. Nice. Okay. So... The difference between these two is mostly how time-consuming it is. Right, yeah. They both want to be uplifting and like a bit constructive. Got it, got it. What else is on our menu? So up next, we have the side dishes. These are add-ons that can make other menu items more enjoyable. For me, I wrote down, have a playlist to listen to in the background or put on your favorite comfy clothes while you do something. You know, it adds to the level of enjoyment of another menu item. Like maybe I'll hang out with friends on my stoop in my comfiest clothes. Got it. Got it. Okay. 
And now, Kristen, no meal would be complete without dessert, would it? (laughs) This is the portion of the menu for those little things that you usually turn to for dopamine hits that aren't that filling. Those easy go-tos I mentioned earlier, you know, like scrolling on social media, maybe playing a game on your phone, Brad. (laughs) Dean's also in that category. (laughs) Yeah, maybe doing some online window shopping, like filling that cart, but never checking out. I know you and I both love to do that, Kristen. We do. It is so fun. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like listen to a a bit of a gossip podcast, those kind of little nuggets that aren't that good for you, but sometimes are just like the little sort of sugar-filled hit you need. Yeah. And Kristen, wait, wait, wait. Don't forget, we have specials. Ooh. There are specials on this menu. And what are those? Specials are those big ticket items, those huge dopamine inducing activities. For me, that would be going to the theater, maybe going on a trip, a day at the beach. For other people, it might be like snowboarding or skydiving or something that gets an even more extreme dopamine hit. But these things are time consuming and often kind of expensive and you may have to save up for them. Got it. Got it. So all of this is part of step one. That right. That was all step one. (laughs) Make your menu. Make your whole menu. And then what is step two? Step two is omit anything that's unrealistic. You got to be sure to 86 those chores, Kristen, those tasks. (laughs) They don't mention 86. I had to put it in because I love restaurant talk and I know what that means. It means get rid of it. And I also love that we're talking about menus and you use the term 86 here. So, you know, get rid of any chores that show up on your menu or any items from your to-do list that accidentally have made it on your menu. This is not a place for obligations. Remembering to schedule a time to, like, get your IUD changed is not a special (laughs) that should be on the menu. That's just something I have to do. Got it. Got (laughs) it. And what about step three? Step three is prep your ingredients like any good chef would. Yes. You got to make your dopamine items easy to access. Otherwise, we're not going to do them. Otherwise, we're going to go back to our dessert items. Because when you're already bored out of your mind, you're probably not going to feel like setting up like a whole craft station or something. So you got to have your menu items prepped. For me, that would mean making sure I have some chocolate on hand because that's one of my starters. Mm -hmm. I love a little square of chalky. Also, I have to make some different playlists so I have them ready to go when I want to use a playlist as a side dish, as an add-on. And that means taking my electric piano out of the deep depths of a closet and maybe setting it up so it's easy to access because every time I'm like, oh, I'd play piano, but like, ugh, it's behind all that stuff. I never do it. So maybe Mm. I should set it up somewhere. That all makes sense. And what about step four? All right. Step four, the final step is advertise your menu. Ah, yes. No restaurant is just going to open and not advertise, is it? No, no. What are you? Like (laughs) one of those one table secret restaurants that you can only get into by word of mouth? No. (laughs) You have many tables. You want people to come in off the street. So you're going to advertise your menu. You're going to make it look cute. You're going to write appealing descriptions. You're going to put it places customers will see. In my case, I wrote it cute in my bullet journal and put one of my bookmarks in it so it's easy to flip to and I can be like, whoa, 
what's in the menu. And you definitely need to post that on our Instagram. Listeners, that is how to be fine pod on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that's how you dope a menu, Kristen. But question, I'm sorry if this is dense. How does this actually work? You've explained what it is, (laughs) the steps to make it. You've explained the backstory with the YouTube channel. But how does this actually in day-to-day life work? Well, Surprisingly, there aren't any official DOPA menu studies to consult for information on whether or not DOPA menus are actually successful ADHD tools. Tons of people on TikTok say they are, but that's anecdotal evidence. So to answer your question, Kristen, first, we should look at how dopamine works and how ADHD brains function. And here's what I found out. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. So it is a chemical in your brain, and it carries messages from your nerves to your brain. And people with ADHD tend to have more dopamine receptors than neurotypical individuals. And when there is a surplus of dopamine receptors ready and willing to carry dopamine out of the brain and send it on its way, the dopamine can actually be flushed out before it's done working all of its magic. Mm, Okay, okay. That was a really good explainer. That makes sense to me. Okay, good. I hope so. And when I say magic, what I really mean is what I found on WebMD. WebMD says dopamine plays a key role in many body functions, including memory, motivation, mood, movement, attention, pleasure and reward, sleep, learning, behavior, and cognition. Ah, yes. Dopamine. Feels so good. Keeps us focused. Right? Yeah. I want to be motivated. Give me that sweet (laughs) dopamine. Yeah. So, you know, based on that information, dopamine should be something that helps you focus, right? Yes. And that would make sense, especially if ADHD was solely about having a dopamine deficiency, but it's not. Dopamine Mm. deficiency probably plays a part. They're not quite sure from what I understand. But there was a study out of Cambridge published in 2013 in the journal Brain, the Journal of Neurology. I had to say the name of that journal because I like that it was just called Brain. I love it. (laughs) So that study found that, quote, patients with ADHD who had significant loss of gray matter in the brain as measured by magnetic resonance imaging showed significant impairments in attentional performance compared with healthy individuals. Interesting. So that is not that you have too many dopamine receptors. It's that you have loss of brain matter. Those seem like two totally different things. Right, right. And what's interesting is that same study found that ADHD symptoms did improve when treated with Ritalin, but they noticed that dopamine levels were super similar between patients with and without ADHD, and that the levels increased at roughly the same rate when both sets of patients took Ritalin. So according to them, this finding suggests that there is no underlying deficiency in dopamine function in ADHD patients. Interesting. Okay, so that takes it further that it's not about dopamine, according to this study in BRAIN. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But regardless, dopamine is truly an integral part of focus and drive. So increasing dopamine will help you focus regardless, or it should at least. It just might not be the main reason people with ADHD struggle to focus. Ah, okay. So 
knowing all this, knowing that there is now contradictory information from real studies, how do you feel about dopa menus? Have you even used your dopa menu yet? Does this change your thoughts on it? So, Kristen, even if my ADHD is not all about a dopamine deficiency, I'm definitely going to try out my dopa menu. I have not tried it yet. I shall report back when we do our mini episode and let you know how it goes. Because I had ADHD and I put it off and didn't try it before this episode. (laughs) But I'm going to try it, especially because I struggle with remembering things that I enjoy. Like, I truly do forget, like this YouTube video suggests, like, I forget what I like when I'm, like, really too bored. And then I just grab my phone and I'm, like, playing a game or scrolling on some store's website And it would help to just have like a list to consult being like, oh, right, I like petting my dog, but I literally forget that when I grab my phone or, you know, oh, right, maybe a walk would be good for this 15 minutes I have instead of like wallowing on Instagram. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to try it. Kristen, what do you think about Dopa menus? Do you think they're just a gimmicky to do list? Are you going to try it? Well, I don't have ADHD myself, but. I do like hits of dopamine. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I feel like you're good at that. I feel like Kristen's good at like a dance break or like grabbing a a healthy snack real quick. And I do like some of the things that you have on your dopamine. We already mentioned the singing. Like almost every Mm. day when I make my lunch, I sing a song. Oh my gosh. Cute. I sing my hot dog salad song when it's time to make hot dog salad, for example. Love it. Dean knows all the words to the hot dog salad song. (laughs) I, I have other little made up songs that I sing, but It reminds me of something that I have seen for a while now. I think they're called happiness hit menus, where it's just like, just a little hit of happiness. Look at this list of things that, you know, reminder, you really like this stuff. And this gives you a quick hit of happiness. And they aren't like the big specials on your menu. It's not like go on an eight-day vacation in the Caribbean. It's not like that. But they're just like quick things you can do to, you know, give yourself a little happiness boost in this moment. For example text somebody you love and let them know that you were thinking about them. Find a way to help a neighbor in the next Mm. day or so. Like little things like that because they have been shown consistently in studies to give us a happiness boost, you know, just tiny things like that. So I've seen those lists before and I will say, you know, just saying them out loud, I'm like, yeah, I should do that. That always makes me feel happy. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to add texting a friend to my dopamine. Yeah. Or give a compliment, positively gossip, which I've mentioned before. Like, it always oh, makes me feel good too. to, like, when Jolenta's not around, to be like, you know, Jolenta makes me laugh so hard. She's one of the funniest people I know. And if I say that to a complete stranger who's only heard you on the podcast, that person then will add on and be like, she is really funny. And then we both feel good because we just said something <gasps> oh nice about you. So I think positively gossiping is just a great mood lifter, even though, Jolenta, you're never there and don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> but it makes me feel good when I'm doing it. Right, so, right. Yeah, but another way to do it is to just compliment you directly. I'm sure that would be, <laughs> that might be an even better thing to do, Jolenta. <laughs> Either way is fine. But I think it is it is something that I've seen around before. And yeah, it, it makes sense to maybe have a list of things, even if I'm not organizing it in the menu format, that just like, yeah. hey, you have five minutes to spare. Maybe doing this one thing would make you happy. Oh, and sometimes I do jumping gels because they totally crack me up. Oh my They're not gosh. jumping jacks, but they look kind of like, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about at <laughs> they all. It's kind of like the running man dance move. And it's so stupid that I laugh every time I do it. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, or something else that totally cracks me up is listening to a terrible, earnest song 
from like another era, like simply having a wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh my gosh. It's yes. such an awful song that I laugh my head off every time it plays. And they were like pretty earnest about it too. God, they really meant it. They meant yeah, it so badly. Yeah, they were badly. like, this is it. We're grooving Christmas, guys. Yeah, so those are all good so, things. So not a full dopa menu, but Kristen's not opposed. I'm not opposed. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing. Sometimes just trying on a cute outfit makes me happy. Oh my gosh, yes. Sometimes that is fun. Yeah, but I have an idea, Jolenta. Before the mini-sode comes out, why don't you and I each try to put together a few things and then report back to each other? So it's not yes, just you reporting yes. back to me. I'll try a few we'll things. We'll both also. report back. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love it. It's a date. Listeners, Excellent. you can do it too, obviously. We want to know what you think about Dopa menus. We want to know if you're doing a Dopa menu right now. Have you tried it? Was it delish? You can write to us at Kristen and Jalenta at gmail.com or you can write to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen and Jalenta. You can use those same contact methods to send us advice questions. Speaking of which, in just a moment, we'll hear from a letter writer who's dealing with a big diagnosis. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hey, everyone. We're back with our first letter of the day. Jolenta, what do they have to say? Our letter writer says, any thoughts or recommendations on dealing with a medical diagnosis that's terrible and life-changing? It's a rare disease. So far, I've joined a Facebook group for others dealing with the same diagnosis. What next? Well, letter writer, first and foremost, I am so sorry that yeah. your diagnosis is terrible. You know, any medical condition can feel rough, but terrible is a very, very strong word. So right. I'm really sorry. Whatever that means to you, I am so sorry that you're going through that. And I'm really glad that you have done what I think is first and foremost the most important, which is to make sure you don't feel completely alone in this. Right. Joining a Facebook group, talking with others, dealing with the same diagnosis, you know, maybe getting advice, asking questions of those same people, and then just not feeling completely isolated because especially when it's a rare disease, it can feel very, very isolating. I don't talk about it a lot on the show, but Dean and I both have certain medical diagnoses that, you know, it can feel really isolating if you're not talking with other people about it. And so I'm really glad that you're not alone in this. So that's first and foremost. I just want to say I'm sorry. And you already have taken what I consider a really great first step. But Jolenta, let's hear your advice on this because you've been very, very open about your lupus diagnosis. And I think that relates here. Yeah. First of all, listener, sorry you're going through this. I know how hard it can be, just exhausting, scary, all of that. But also, 
congrats on getting a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes that can be really hard, especially if it's something rare. It can take time. It can take a lot of pain and waiting and poking and prodding. So I know things seem bleak, but something to try to hold on to is like, at least I know what I'm dealing with because before you didn't. And even though it's rare and it's life-changing and terrible, once you know what it is, you know how to go at it, you know? Absolutely. Because, you know, there are so many folks out there who just, they'll never get that diagnosis. They'll never know. And that limbo can be just the worst. Right. Jolenta, you and I have both been in that limbo with our own conditions. and Totally. Just like going back again and again, thinking like, is the doctor even listening to me? Are they taking me seriously? So being taken seriously and getting that diagnosis, totally agree with you, Jolenta. That alone is a big deal. Yeah, that in itself means you're tough as fuck, to be honest. It means you're strong. It means you've dealt with a lot of medical professionals. So like, remember that just like going through the process of getting your diagnosis means you're really strong. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. also... I know sometimes it can be scary, but for me personally, research helped. I had to learn about, I have a rare-ish kind of lupus, or at least rare presentation, and just knowing about my body and how it's functioning and what makes it different has has really helped the sort of general diagnosis feel less big and daunting and scary. Another thing, and this is something my former therapist recommended I do, so I can't take credit for this. You can reach out to experts. There's always someone who's an expert in your disease, and you can usually find a medical student that's up and coming and publishing a lot of papers about your disease And you might really relate to them. And so sort of dig around and look at who the doctors are that are writing papers about your disease. Look them up. Look at their profiles online. See if there's someone that you think you would want to talk to and reach out to them. Because my therapist told me this, and I found this to be true. A lot of practitioners, especially ones who are experts in niche topics, love to talk about their topic. They love to have someone who wants to learn about what they're an expert in. And they enjoy being in touch with patients that have the disease that they're like devoting their life to. So like, don't be afraid to sort of do some digging and find people that you feel like you'd vibe with and reach out to them. Oh, And I know the Facebook group is good, and it is so good to know there are other people in the same boat as you, but don't be afraid to leave it if it feels overwhelming, Mm. especially at the beginning. This is another thing my therapist told me. I cannot take credit for it, but I joined a bunch of lupus Facebook groups right away, and then I was just sort of flooded with all of these, like, this is horrible, and my doctor gaslit me here, and like, what is this symptom? I'm in so much pain. And it was very daunting and scary. And just like, it looked like just a lot of bad news and a lot of like dark foreshadowing of what was to come. And I was kind of freaking out being like, this is my community. Oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? There's so much like pain and sadness and illness. And my therapist was like, you need to take a step back. 
And I did. And it sort of helped because it gave me time to sort of get my own sense of what having lupus meant to me, what it did to me, how I want to even talk about it before I jumped back in. So I could ask a random question about like a certain medication or a certain weird symptom that I'm not sure if it's lupus related or not. Like once you sort of have the language vocabulary, it helps to not be overwhelmed and like don't feel guilty if you want to opt out or if you like have feelings of like these aren't my people because like Mm -hmm. I've had them too. I think most people have. And like you can always reenter a Facebook group. None of them are watching them that closely being like she left and came back too much, (laughs) like unless they're really small. And even if they are really small, like you can usually find another community somewhere online. So don't be afraid to leave because sometimes they can feel dark and heavy and depressing because they're places people go to vent and sometimes talk about the worst of the illness. So when you're going to try and find like community and maybe like some levity, they aren't necessarily the places to go. Yeah. And just a couple more pieces of advice here. And Jolenta, you kind of already talked indirectly about this. Therapy is great. And there are therapists who specialize in talking with folks who have rare diseases. And it may be through your hospital system or through your doctor that you can get connected with a therapist who specializes in talking through these kinds of matters because it's not quite the same kind of therapy necessarily you would want or need if you're going through upheaval in your work life or, you know, marital issues. This is a different kind of help that you need right now. So I might ask your physician if they have any suggestions of where to go for the best kind of therapist for what you need right now, as well as support groups, because support groups really can make a big difference in a different way than those Facebook groups, support groups where you are actually dealing with real people talking back and forth to each other rather than just posting and responding, but actually a real support group. And this is not my way of belittling what Facebook groups can do. They can be very useful. No, but one that's maybe structured or supervised by a professional. Exactly. And just one last bit of advice, and this is for down the road. This is not for now. This sounds like it's a fresh diagnosis, so I'm not saying this week, this month, or even this year. But down the road, what I have found with some of my diagnoses is that paying it forward has helped me, helping somebody else who is freaking out and just got the same diagnosis. Somebody who has, you know, feeling alone that I can reassure them, you're not alone, I have this. And Dean has done that for other people too. So I I just think that you don't have to think about that now, but maybe down the road that might help you feel a little bit better to know that you're somebody who can offer that to someone else. You can provide Mm -hmm. a little bit of a shoulder to lean on for others. And I'm not saying that you should deplete yourself to do that. Don't do that. But I have found personally, there have been times where that has made me feel better to be able to pay it forward a little bit. Yeah. And like, just know soon you're going to become an expert on like some really niche disease. And just remember like, You're already strong if you've made it this far. You're strong if you even just started asking questions about what's happening in your body. Getting as far as a diagnosis takes a lot of strength. And now you have the power of more information behind you. And just take it easy on yourself. All right. We need to take a quick break. But before we do, please, everyone, check out our brand new gift set. Rolling out just in time for the holidays. 
Our gift set includes an autographed copy of our book, How to Be Fine. We both sign it, along with our exclusive How to Be Fine Smell of Mediocrity candle. Mmm, smell that? Do you know what mediocrity smells like? Spoiler, it's unscented because there's no judgment here. There's no smell of it. There's no scent of it. It is friendly for everybody with allergies, friendly for everybody who just wants a nice glow of mediocrity in their lives. So again, that is our autograph book and candle set that you can get at podswag.com slash be fine. That's podswag.com slash be fine. Coming up, we're going to hear from a letter writer who's trying to make the most of the little free time that she has. Stay with us. We are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, take it away, please. All right. Our second letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I have two younger kids, ages three and five, and a full-time job. I want to be present with my kids in the evenings, but sometimes I'm racing from work to get the kids from school and daycare, then cooking supper, and either going to the kids' activities or getting them to do homework or just trying to spend good quality time with them. But I often end up losing patience with them because I haven't had a minute to myself since the moment my feet hit the ground before 6 a.m., I recently switched jobs, so I now work only eight hours a day compared to the 10 to 12 I used to work, and that's definitely helped. And I've tried communicating to my spouse that I need 30 minutes to myself for transition time between work and the kids, and while he's respectful and helpful, I haven't found a routine that's stuck. How would you recommend spending the 30-minute transition on the days I get it so I can have more patience and be ready to take on my kids' emotions, whatever they may be, when they're home? Wow. Letter writer, sounds like you are a fucking powerhouse. I'm sorry. Your transition to only eight hours a day at work instead of 10 to 12? Like, damn. And you have two kids under five? Shit. You Mm -hmm. must be a pillar of strength in order to hold down that life and try to get your husband on board to give you some free time. Indeed. I second that. And before we even give any of our advice here, I also just want to say up front for any new listeners who don't know this, but Jolent and I have mentioned it many times, we are both experienced nannies. We have spent a great deal of time in childcare. So we want to make clear we're not just coming at this with no experience with children at all. I used to teach children arts. I was an educator of them. So I have, <laughs> I do have experience with them and keeping them occupied, but not having them personally as my own. Yes. And I have a lot of experience keeping children alive who were legally under my care. <laughs> 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 so I just want to suggest, first of all, if you can, not just doing that 30-minute transition time on the rare days you get that 30-minute transition time between work and picking up your kids. I would ask, if possible, if you can get 20 minutes maybe in the day on your lunch break or some other time during the day when you can maybe take a walk by yourself or listen to a podcast or do something that feels replenishing to you 
during the day, when you're not thinking in the back of your mind, oh, this is only going to last so long, I have to pick up the kids. But if you can try and find another time during the day, I'm not sure if that will be easy. It probably won't be. But you did used to work 10 to 12 hours a day, and now you work eight. So it may be possible that there is a little bit of time during the day where you can just be a human, where you're not a mom, where Mm. you're not a worker, but you're just a human being, not a human doing. I'm sorry. That is very corny self-help language, but you deserve that time to just be yourself and not think about what is the next thing I have to do. So if you can do that each day, I would highly recommend that. Second of all, I think I might sit down with my spouse if I were you and just be a little more clear about what can be done and offer some solutions that you think will work for both of you. And maybe those solutions are that you're not cooking supper every night of the week. Maybe you are picking up supper from somewhere else one or two nights of the week. Or maybe once or twice a week, you're just doing burrito bar or frozen pizza. Or maybe your spouse has pre-made a bunch of meals on Saturday or Sunday, and those meals just get warmed up. Maybe there's some other solution where it's not all on your plate. Or maybe if there is a way your spouse can do different types of activities with the kids so you don't have to. Maybe the homework gets done a little bit later. And I'm guessing because the kids are three and five, that homework is probably pretty simple stuff. Like, let's outline the letters of the alphabet or, you know, let's learn how to use scissors or whatever it is. But maybe your spouse can be the one who oversees that homework time instead of you doing that when your spouse gets home from work. But, you know, I would say be specific and clear about what those things can be as opposed to, I really need more help. I'm going nuts here. I'm not saying that you're saying that to your spouse, but I just think being extra constructive about it, maybe even having a calendar where you lay out certain things can be really, really useful in these cases. The more clear, the more specific, the better. So, you know, those are my two main pieces of advice. But Jolenta, I want to hear from you. Well, first of all, I just wish there was like some class we could send men to where they could learn about mental load. Because (laughs) I'm just solely judging this based on the very little amount of information we have. But part of me wants to be like, I want our letter writer's husband to understand mental load. I know there's like that viral cartoon about it, but I just wish there was some like online course that was like mandatory that they could all take because part of me wants to be like, he should just give you the time every day guaranteed. And that way it won't feel so scarce. We can't always demand that based on schedules and such. But like Kristen said, I would try to make it almost like more official or more firm. Mm -hmm. And I do think calendars really help. If there is a schedule posted and it says like 30 minutes, dad's in charge. I feel like that helps sort of solidify it. It's not just like an idea that's floating around. It's like part of the routine now. So if you can try to make it more official, which I know is more work on you and you shouldn't have to do it. But if you want to try to make it like feel more official, I think that will help it occur more often. Or you can just send your husband to me. I can give him a lecture on (laughs) mental load. I'm going to start offering it. I am joking, but also (laughs) half not. As for what you should do in the downtime, 
Part of me wants to say, do whatever the fuck you want. Each day is different and you might need to unwind differently. Maybe, don't get mad, maybe have a dopa menu. Maybe. Ah! <laughs> or some sort of like activity list of that you can sort of reference to get sort of a quick reminder of things you like to do. And you can pick one that fits the situation you're in, whether you had a long day out with the kids playing sports. Maybe you want a, a bath. Maybe you had a stressful day and you want to meditate if you're into that. I'm sorry, Kristen. I know you don't like meditating. A lot of people do, though. Yeah. If that's Maybe you just want to make yourself like your own personal charcuterie board and have a good snack. Maybe you need to masturbate. Like, who knows? Maybe you want to watch your favorite show, but like a list that you could reference so you can be like, I'm feeling this way. Oh, that thing will help alleviate it or that will help calm me down. You know, a quick, easy reference list. Also, if you are with the kids but do want more of a break, one of the things I would do when I taught four to five-year-olds is you just try to make everything a game. And I know we've done the whole like make cleaning up a game, but you can make anything a game. When I was teaching one year, we had a game where every day when they sort of came to sign in, we would see if we could stay so quiet that the big kids taking the class next door wouldn't even know we were there. <laughs> and we had like a fun little sneaky game and the kids loved it. But really, I had been getting numerous complaints from the other teachers about how loud my age group was when they came in for sign in. But they didn't know that. They just knew we had a new game that we always played. So if there's a way you can, you know, institute some sort of quiet contest, you know, they can't just be like, see how long you can be quiet. It has to be kind of sneaky. They like being covert. Maybe there's something they can do to help cook or set the table that can feel like a game. Mm. We used to have a clean table contest after art projects and we would like have judging and give out a fake trophy for whoever like made the most spotless table where it's like, yeah, it's still just cleaning up, but at least there's like a gamification of it. It does take planning and thinking beforehand. Again, mental load, I don't want to give you right now. Feel free to send your husband my way. Um, <laughs> I'll explain it. But once the kids get into a routine, once you have sort of a list of games to go to, it does become very helpful if like you need to go set something up really quickly. You can keep them occupied with cleaning up a mess in a fun way. Yeah. I'm also going to say something a little controversial here, and I know for a fact that not all of our listeners are going to be happy with this bit of advice, but Jolenta, in the era we grew up in, it was not unusual for our parents to use the TV as a babysitter for, I don't know, 10 to 18 hours a day, right? And yeah. I'm not saying to use the TV as a babysitter for 10 to 18 hours a day, but if all you really want is 30 minutes to yourself, maybe once in a while, putting in a 30-minute video for the kids to watch, maybe something that feels emotionally and mentally nourishing, like an episode of Mr. Rogers. I was just going to say lines. Mr. Rogers is, I think, half an hour-ish. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines, something where you can feel good about what you're showing your kids, reruns of Sesame Street, whatnot. Maybe that's something that you can give to the kids and to yourself. Maybe the kids would really enjoy just 30 minutes with Mr. Rogers while you're sitting in another room just relaxing and meditating, or maybe sitting in the same room as the kids, 
but maybe just relaxing and reading a book that you like. So again, I know that not all of our listeners are going to be okay with that bit of advice. I know that screen time is considered quite controversial nowadays, but yeah, once in a while, that 30-minute video might be a lifesaver for you and for the kids. Yeah. And I am here to say my brain is not rotten, I don't think. And I did watch a fair (laughs) amount of after-school TV. (laughs) Again, not advocating for it as a babysitter. But yeah, if it's constructive, if it's something you have a hand in, if it's for a certain amount of time, it can really help. Yeah. And I personally have really fond memories of watching TV as a kid. Some of my best memories were of, you know, Saturday morning cartoons or watching Little House on the Prairie with my Nana as a kid. Yeah. And yeah, I did love all those hours of Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street also when I was young. So, you know, they were, in my opinion, not just the TV being my babysitter, but in some cases, something that made me feel happy as a kid. So totally. And again, everybody's different. Everybody's idea of how much screen time their kids should have is different too. So fully owning up to the fact that not everyone's going to agree with that advice. And that is it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our production team at Stitcher, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantal Holder, and our composer slash engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, we have fantastic swag at podswag.com slash be fine. Check out all that swag. Check it out for yourself or your animal who likes to wear clothes. Check it out because you know you're fine and our merch will help you feel finer. It's true. Until next time, I'm Jolanta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. And until then, stay fine. Stitcher. 